0: And let us pray together before we begin. Our Father, we come to Your Word this morning at this time because it is our desire that we hear from You this morning, that You would show us in Your Word just how far we had fallen and just how marvelous is Your awesome grace. We would come to a greater and deeper understanding of our salvation and all that it entails and all that is done for us on the cross of Christ. Glorify Yourself today, Father, through Your Word, and in our midst and in our hearts we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we went through half of a verse, half of verse 18 of Acts chapter 26. And so you'll need to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 26. We're going to look at the last half of that verse. Verse 18 is a description of what the Gospel does. And I mentioned this last week. This is not the Gospel itself. There's no mention of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no in-depth explanation of what imputed righteousness is or what faith in Christ means. It is really just a description of what comes to those whom... God saves. If you take somebody who was lost and when they embrace the gospel and believe on Christ for salvation and look up to Him in a saving fashion for faith and repentance and grace and salvation and the forgiveness of sins, then verse 18 describes what takes place in the life of that new believer. And I told you last week there were four fundamental changes that are made in us and there are four fundamental blessings that come to us. And I just want to give you again those four fundamental changes which were at the beginning of verse 18. You remember there was a change in illumination. Verse 18 says Paul was being sent to the Gentiles to open their eyes. As the hymn writer says, "Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see." There's illumination. At one time we are blind in our sins. Our hearts are darkened, our understanding is darkened, and when the gospel comes, the lights come on, the blinders are removed, our eyes are opened, we're given spiritual sight. Change of illumination. Second, Paul gives us, a, or Paul, Jesus gives to Paul the indication that there would be a change in direction to turn them. That is repentance. We saw last week, it is something that we are required to do and commanded to do to repent. It is also something that is the work of God in our hearts. That God leads us to repentance and grants to us repentance and moves us to repentance. So it is a divine work and it is has bears human responsibility as well as we turn from our sins. That's a change of direction. Change of illumination, a change in what we see. Change in direction is a change in where we're going. Then there's a change in location. We have moved from darkness to light. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light in God's dear Son. That changes where we're at. And the fourth fundamental change was a change in dominion. From the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God or to God. That changes who controls us. And I was thinking this last week, I was just making a mental list, a mental category of all of the things in my life that have changed since I came to faith in Christ. Now think back in your own life and think of the changes that have been wrought, the changes that have been made in your life. There has been a change in, obviously, giftedness, that I didn't have any spiritual gifts when I came to Christ. So there's a change in giftedness, there's a change in service a change in our affections, a change in our desires, a longing for holiness that we never had, a hatred for sin that we never had. Go through all of the things that have changed in your life for the better and the changes that Christ has made. And I had a hard time finding any of them that did not fit into one of those four categories. Either what we see, who we serve, where we live, or the direction that we're heading. Almost everything that God has done for us in Christ can be summed up or placed properly in one of those four categories. Can they not? I can't think of a single thing that has been done for me in Christ or a change that has been made that does not relate to one of those things. What I see is different, where I'm going is different, where I live is different, and who I serve is different. That's everything. Everything about my life has changed as a result of the gospel. Now chances are good that you didn't understand any of that when you came to faith in Christ. Is that right? Do you understand anything about all of this stuff, inheritance and what was done at the cross and chances are good that if you're like me, you understood this, that you were a great sinner and that you needed a great Savior. That's what you understood. You understood that you were a great sinner and that you offended a holy God and that you were under the wrath of God and that Jesus Christ came to bear that wrath and to satisfy God on your behalf. And so you looked to Him in saving faith because you understood that there is nothing you can do for salvation. The only thing you need to do is simply to look to Christ and to believe in Him and to place your faith in Him. And so you did that. When I came to Christ, I didn't come to Christ so that He would make me a pastor. The last thing on my mind. When I came to Christ, I didn't come to Christ so that He would give me a spiritual gift. I didn't come to Him so that He would call me into any kind of service. I didn't come to Him because I wanted an inheritance or I wanted a resurrection body or I... none of that. You know why I came to Christ? Because I understood I'm a great sinner and He's a great Savior. And that's why I came to Christ. And then the rest of our Christian life, and I believe, lesson, all of eternity, is spent growing in an appreciation and an understanding of what happened on that cross. All of my life, all of my Christian life, and I believe all of eternity will be spent growing in a deepening and deepening, more deepening understanding of just what God did in Christ on the cross in reconciling us to Him. Because all of my Christian life now is about, wow, I didn't know that was true of me. Wow, I didn't know that was true of me. I didn't know God did that. I didn't understand all of the depth of it when I came to faith in Christ. Verse 18 just sort of, I think, skims the surface, friends. Four fundamental changes, and now let's look at the four fundamental blessings. That's the last half of verse 18. Verse 18 says, To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Now here are the four fundamental blessings that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that's first, and an inheritance, that's second, among those who have been sanctified. Sanctification is the third blessing. And in faith in me, that's the fourth blessing. The forgiveness of sins and inheritance, sanctification and faith in Christ. Those are all four blessings that the Gospel brings to us. Let's just look at the first one. That they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles and to the Jews so that their eyes may be opened and they might turn from darkness to light from Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins. Is that not the most fundamental blessing of all? Is not the forgiveness of sins the most foundational, the most basic, the most beginning blessing of all? That is for me where it started. I came to understand the depth of my sin and that I couldn't save myself. And that I had to look to somebody who was able to save me. Not me cooperate with him to get saved, but somebody else who was able to reach down and pull me out of the the quicksand, the mire, the bottom of the well, as dead as I was, and saved me. And I knew one thing for sure. I needed to have my sins forgiven. That's the most fundamental, the most foundational blessing. It is the most fundamental and most foundational aspect of the Gospel. That in preaching the Gospel and presenting Christ to people, we need to present Christ to people in order that they might understand that they can have their sins forgiven. Because that's the thing that stands between them and God. Elipha says in Job 417, can a mankind, can mankind be just before God and can a man be pure before his maker? Bildad said Job 25 verse 4, how then can a man be just with God or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? Isn't that the fundamental problem? How can I as a sinner stand in the presence of a holy God? I'm going to exit this life and I have a lot of baggage of sin that I'm carrying with me. How can a man be just, justified, righteous? forgiven in the sight of a holy God. When I stand before the Lord and He says, Are you holy and are you righteous enough to enter into my heaven? What am I going to say? And the cry of every human heart that is honest with itself is this. How can a man be just before God? How can a man be forgiven of his sins and be righteous in the presence of God? You know what the answer is? The Gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. How can a man be just before God? That's the question. The answer? By faith. By faith. It's faith that looks up and embraces Christ. And the most foundational, fundamental problem that is solved by the gospel is not that we don't have an inheritance, not that we need a resurrection body, all of those things are come with it. But the most foundational, fundamental problem that is solved by the gospel is our sin, and that it is washed away. When the apostles preached the gospel, listen to how they listen to how they preached. Just through the book of Acts. Acts two, verse thirty eight. Repent, each one of you, and be baptized, because in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts three nineteen, therefore repent in return so that your sins may be wiped away. Acts 5.31, He is the one, that is Jesus. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as Prince and a Savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.43, Of Him all the prophets bear witness that through His name everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. And Acts 13.38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What was the foundational part of the Gospel message as the apostles preached it? He said, do you want a life of purpose? Do you want a life where Jesus will heal your marriage? Do you want health and wealth and prosperity? Do you want a good life and a better job than come to Jesus? Was that the gospel? It's not the gospel, is it? What's the gospel? We are sinners. And He's a great Savior. And if you come to Him and place your faith in Him, you get all of your sins wiped away. Past, present, and future. So that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No judgment. I do not fear any judgment for my sin. All of it was born on the cross. Christ took all of it. The wrath of God was poured out on Him so that I could have forgiveness for all of my sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Colossians chapter 1 says that He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And in that kingdom of light, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32, How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity. Do you believe that? How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not account his iniquity. To have all of my iniquity, all of my debt, simply washed away in the death of Christ. To have all of it taken out of the way so that none of it is charged to my account. How blessed is that man to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity to be absolutely forgiven of your sins. But in order to be forgiven of your sins, you have to understand just how deep and wicked you are and how deep in your sin and how bound in your sin you are. That's what Jesus was talking about in the first half of the verse when he says that you're blinded, that you're heading in the wrong direction, that you're in darkness and bound to Satan as a slave to sin, self, and Satan. That's how deep you've fallen. Now this is unpopular stuff. You know what the conventional wisdom and the sort of the church philosophy of today is, you don't talk about sin. Because talking about sin drives people away. Talking about sin offends people. Talking about sin sort of keeps people out of the church. You don't want to talk about sin. You don't want to mention sin. You don't want to mention how lost people are. I was reading a leadership training. Let me give you an illustration of this. I was reading a leadership training course for one of the fastest growing churches in America. Now this is what they teach their leaders about their doctrine. So this is their doctrinal statement. This is their doctrinal course that they're teaching their teachers, their leaders. And when it comes to the subject of sin, here is what they say. And I'm quoting, "...although every person has a tremendous potential for good, all of us are marred by an attitude of disobedience toward God called sin." All of us have a tremendous potential for good? Look at the world. Do you believe that, honestly? That we have a tremendous potential for good, as if mankind is just brimming with goodness, waiting to overflow into humanity and human life and the whole world. And he is just so perfect and so good, but there's just this one tiny, eensy-weensy little blemish. He is marred, like a brand new car might be marred by a scratch or a ding. He is—he's just overflowing with goodness, but he's marred by this attitude of disobedience toward God that we call sin. Is sin an attitude? You know, I can change my attitude, can't I? See what's happened to sin? It just becomes an attitude. You just have the wrong attitude. You just need to have a different outlook. You need to have different circumstances. You need to have a different attitude. I can change my attitude. Is sin just a marring of an otherwise perfect being? Are you a perfect being who's just slightly marred by sin? You just need a little touch-up job by the Lord. Friends, I think that that is robbing the grace and the glory from God. That's what I think that is. And you know why? Who loves more, the one who's been forgiven much or the one who's been forgiven little? The one who's been forgiven much. So if you have a congregation of people that you're telling, you know what, you've only been forgiven of this one little marring, a little disobedient attitude toward God, just an attitude, just a little marring, just a little imperfection on you, who are otherwise a very good person, filled with a tremendous capacity and potential for good, just have this one little mar, and God has forgiven you for for that one little imperfection. Are people going to love much or love little? They're going to love little. Because when you rob them of an understanding of just how deep is their sin and just how fallen they were, you have robbed them of any appreciation for the grace and the goodness and the glory of God. Who would condescend to such a depth as to save somebody like us? We're not marred, we're dead. We're wicked, depraved, dark, slaves to sin, self, and Satan. We are utterly ruined, incapable of changing our condition. Sin is not an attitude. Sin is a state. It is a condition in which we live, and we cannot free ourselves. And we cannot of ourselves leave that condition. How do you take somebody to the cross if they don't think they need a Savior? You just have a little attitude problem is all you have. Just an attitude of disobedience toward God, we'll call that sin. Anybody going to flee to the cross from the wrath to come over a little attitude disobedience? No, but when you understand, friends, the depth to which we have fallen and the depth from which Christ plucked us, then you cannot but help give glory and honor to God for such a marvelous, gracious, infinite salvation that would save people such as us. That we may have the forgiveness of our sins. How can a man be just before God? How can I stand righteous in the sight of God? By faith. The just shall live by faith. And by faith... We have our sins forgiven. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity. Utterly wiped out. Do you fear condemnation for your sins? You sometimes wonder, am I going to stand before the Lord and have him judge me for my sins and pour out his wrath on me for my sins? Friends, if you fear that, I tell you, one of two things is true. Either you don't know the Savior and so you have every reason to fear, or second, you don't understand what happened at the cross. It was all taken away. Does that mean we just live however we want? No, 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 no. we're going to get to that. That's the third blessing. Let's get to the second one. An inheritance. The forgiveness of sins and that they may receive an inheritance. What is our inheritance? I didn't know anything about an inheritance when I came to faith in Christ had no idea of what waited for me in the future. I just knew I was going to die. and I was going to stand before God. I was utterly convinced of that. And I wanted to get into heaven. And I was content if I could just clean out the sewers in heaven, sweep the streets in heaven, be the garbage man in heaven, just to not be in hell and have the lowliest position of heaven. That's all I wanted. And if all I got in salvation was just to have my sins forgiven, that would have been sufficient. But for all of those whom the Lord forgives their sin, He goes above and beyond the call of duty and gives us an inheritance. What is an inheritance? The inheritance that we expect is heaven with all of its attendant blessings. Heaven with all of its attendant blessings. Glory, grace, love, freedom from sin, the presence of Christ, wave after wave after wave of grace for all of eternity, the complete taking away of all of my sins Perfect communion with God in fellowship with Him and in fellowship with you and all of the saints of God through all of eternity, standing and praising and worshiping Him and serving Him for all of eternity. That is the inheritance. I don't even feel like I'm doing justice to it because I think it's far more than that. Uh, I don't think it's wealth. I don't think it's material wealth. There's reward that's involved in it, obviously. Reward for acts of service. Ephesians 2 says we are going to be put on display as trophies of God's grace for all of eternity. That's part of the inheritance. I didn't even scratch the surface. I think it's far more than that. I don't, I don't even think it's, the half has been told to us what our inheritance is that awaits us. It's marvelous. I think that if we all knew that, if we all knew what it was that awaits us, and we could leave right here instantly and go there to be there, I think that's what we would want. I think we'd all drink Kool-Aid. Just to get out of here. Just to leave this whole mess aside and just to go to be with heaven. We had some of our saints who have been with us for years, who have died in recent years. They're standing in glory right now with their inheritance. In Christ, in all of glory. And I sometimes sit here and I think, what, what is it that Harvey Brothers is getting to enjoy right now? What is it that Bud Schaefer is getting to enjoy right now? Just to try and fathom that. What a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous thing. I don't even think our minds can even begin to grasp that inheritance. When did you get the inheritance? You know that you got the inheritance before even a single Adam was spoken into existence? You know that you got the inheritance before the foundations of the world? Second Timothy chapter 1 says there was a grace that was granted to us in Christ before the world began. From all of eternity. When you were predestined to adoption as sons, you were predestined to an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says we are predestined to our inheritance. God predestined us to it. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He says, I'm going to adopt that one, and I'm going to grant that one faith to believe, and I'm going to give this one an inheritance. And it was signed, sealed, and delivered before a single Adam was spoken into existence. We were predestined to our inheritance. And beyond that, the Lord sealed us for our inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, After listening... To the message of our salvation, the gospel of God's grace, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. God has sort of said, "I'm going to give you a down deposit, a, a, a down payment, a deposit, <laughs> down deposit. Go to the bank and use that one." I'd like to make a down deposit. <laughs> Sorry, going to give. He has given us a down payment of our inheritance, and it is the Spirit of God who has sealed us for the inheritance. Now, is it possible that I might lose my inheritance in some way? Not at all. Why? He predestined me to it, and He has sealed me for it. Furthermore, Scripture says, in Colossians chapter 1, He has qualified us for the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you qualify in and of yourself for an inheritance? Somebody else has done something to qualify you for it. He predestined you to it. He sealed you for it. He has qualified you for it. And 1 Peter chapter 1 says that He keeps you for it. It says that we are kept for our inheritance through the power of God by faith. He keeps us. Can I fall away from it? Can I lose it? Can I fall off the edge and and be lost? You can't be lost. A child of God, a true child of God has been born again and regenerated. You can no more lose your inheritance than you could do anything to gain it and to begin with. It's not your work. He predestined you to it. He sealed you for it. He keeps you for it. And He qualifies you for it so that when you get there, He can give it to you. One big package deal. What kind of an inheritance is it? It's an imperishable inheritance. Hebrews 9.15 says it is an eternal inheritance. It will never go away. It will never diminish. There's no inflation in heaven so that it's less in 10,000 years than it is today. We don't have to invest it. It's incorruptible, imperishable. First Peter chapter 1 says it will not fade away. It doesn't diminish at all. It cannot be marred by any imperfection or anything human. It is reserved for us there. It is kept there. And we are kept for it. And we are in a crash course with our inheritance. And the only thing that separates us from that is death. And when we step through death, we get the inheritance. And it's all ours. Predestined for it, sealed for it, qualified for it, and kept for it by the power of God. All His work. And it will never run out. Ten thousand years will be the same as it is today. Never run out. We received an inheritance once. Deidre and I did. I shouldn't say I did. I married into a family who actually had something to give away as an inheritance. So we had been married for less than a year, and we received a very small inheritance. It was in Canadian dollars, a a real small one. It wasn't her mom and dad that died. We're still looking forward to – sorry, we're still (laughs) dreading the day that that's going to happen. We're dreading the day that that's going to happen. But it was her grandfather who died and gave all of the children an inheritance. And Friends, it's all used up and gone. And it wasn't huge – It was it was nice, helped us out at the time. We used some of it to go to school on for my fourth year, but it's all gone. It's all used up. It's not that kind of inheritance. It's not an inheritance that can be spent. It's not an inheritance that can be transferred from one person to the other. And it's an inheritance that all of us share as co-heirs in Christ. Co-heirs. I get just as much as you get. And there will be no family feud fighting over the inheritance. It's not like we're going to get there we're all going to run to the bank to take ours out when my grandmother died. Now, my grandmother on my father's side, uh, my grandparents were very wealthy. They owned a newspaper in Spokane. Um, they died wealthy. Both of them died wealthy. And they had five kids. My father was one of them. So after my grandmother died, I went to the um, funeral. It was a Catholic funeral. I went to the Catholic church. I was looking around. Where's my dad? So I asked one of my uncles, where's my dad? He was down at the bank taking out his inheritance. During his mother's funeral. During his mother's funeral. Wanted to get there before the bank closed. Not that kind of an inheritance. No rushing to the bank, friends. We step into eternity. It's all ours. And we share it. All of it's ours. All of it belongs to all of us. We all get an equal amount. And we all get it for all of eternity. It'll never diminish. It'll never fade away. I wish I had a whole sermon just to talk about the inheritance. I hope you're kind of getting homesick like I am. I look forward to that. That is the blessing that comes through the gospel. We are given not only the forgiveness of our sins, we are given an inheritance. And look what Jesus said. This is the third blessing among those who are sanctified. Sanctification is a blessing. Now, the Lord doesn't just save us and then usher us into into the presence of our inheritance without making us fit to meet our inheritance. So he sanctifies us or he makes us holy in the meantime. So I get saved when I'm 14 or 15 years old and then begins a process that really was guaranteed in eternity past and will be completed sometime in the future. But when I got saved, began a process of what is called sanctification. Sanctification simply means to be set apart for something. If we set apart this, if we set apart something for holy use, that, or we set it apart for a certain use that is specifically related to God and is holy, we have sanctified it. We have set it apart. And sanctification has three different tenses. In eternity past, when I was chosen in Christ, I was granted that grace, I was predestined to my inheritance. That is when my sanctification was was guaranteed. Then on the cross, as we're going to see in just a second, on the cross, Jesus Christ actually purchased my sanctification to make me holy. And then when I became a believer, began a process of what we call progressive sanctification, where I grow in my holiness day after day after day, and I get I get holier tomorrow than I was today, hopefully, if I cooperate with the Lord and He does the work. We grow in our holiness. We grow in our, our obedience and our longing for righteousness. And we become more and more into the image of Christ as time goes on. But then eventually, friends, we are going to be set apart unto the Lord from all of the penalty, all of the presence, and all of the power of sin itself. So we will be made completely perfect. Now, an imperfect person cannot inherit the inheritance that I described to you. Something has to happen to us. We have to be sanctified by faith in Christ. We have to be made holy. And that begins when you become a believer, and it continues until the day you die, and then you step into glory, and you are perfectly holy, ready for a perfectly holy inheritance. Isn't that a great story? Did you understand that when you came to faith in Christ? I didn't understand that when I came to faith in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hebrews 10 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You understand what happened on the cross? It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's not just justification. It's not just the pouring out of God's wrath on Christ in our place. Christ did something else there as well. He purchased my sanctification. I am sanctified through the offering of His body once and for all. I am made holy. And in the sight of God, I stand as holy. In position, not in practice. I'm not in practice holy. And I never will be this side of heaven. I'll never become perfect where I no longer struggle with sin. We will battle sin until the day that we die. But on the cross, Jesus Christ in His own body purchased my sanctification. And through His offering, all of those who have placed their faith in Christ are ultimately perfected because of that sacrifice. Made holy. All of that was done for you in salvation. The forgiveness of sin, and inheritance, and sanctification. And look at the fourth blessing that comes to us. By faith in me. And me, in the Greek, is emphatic. It's kind of at the beginning of that phrase. It is by faith in Christ. And Jesus, in these words to Paul, is setting Himself forward and emphasizing something to Paul. To Paul, And it is this, that we are forgiven of our sins, we are given an inheritance, and we are sanctified and made holy by virtue of faith in Christ. That's the fourth blessing. Faith in Christ. It is looking to Him. So it's not faith in a church. It's not faith in my own goodness. It's not faith in something that I do because I can do nothing. My repentance is not something that I can do and take credit for. My faith to believe is not something that I do and take credit for. All of these things are the gift of God. And it comes to us by virtue of our faith in Christ. So that when we believe on Him, and let me describe to you what believing on Him means. When we believe on Christ, it means this, that I cast all of my hope for forgiveness of sins in eternity on Him. And if He fails, I perish. That's true faith. To come to him and say, if he fails to save me, then I will perish. Because I have nothing else to fall back on. Not my good works, not my church attendance, not my birth, not my Christian parents, nothing that was done for me or through me by any other individual, but him and him alone. That is saving faith. Not grabbing onto Christ with one hand in baptism or circumcision or Old Old Testament law keeping with the other hand saying, well, if one fails, i got the other one to kind of see me through. No, you let go of everything else and you embrace Christ to such a degree That if He fails to save you, then you perish. That's saving faith. By virtue of that faith, we have forgiveness of sins and inheritance among all those who are sanctified through that faith in Him. We share that inheritance. We share the forgiveness of sins. We share sanctification with all the other believers. And it all comes to us by virtue of believing on Jesus Christ. Now, belief on Christ is kind of like repentance in this way. Remember last week I told you repentance is a two-sided coin. Because Scripture on the one hand says that repentance is something we must do to be saved. And it's something we are commanded to do. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are commands. But it is also something that God does in us and through us and for us in the sense that it is a gift that He grants to us and is something He moves us to. And it is something that Scripture says is given to us by God. Repentance. Belief in Christ is the same way. Philippians 1.29 says it was granted to you to believe on Christ. It was granted to you. God granted that to you, that you would believe on Christ. Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that, the faith, is not of yourselves. That is the gift of God so that you cannot boast. You say, is my repentance a work that I'm saved for doing? No, it's a gift of God. What about my belief? Surely believing is a work that I can do and get saved? No, that is the gift of God. So that we cannot boast. Belief and repentance are the same in that way, and that's why I classify it as a blessing. When the Gospel comes, friends, And we are born again by the Spirit of God into newness of life and we are regenerated. All of this comes our way. We are turned from our sin. Our eyes are opened. We're taken out of darkness, put into light. We're set free from Satan and turned over to the Lord. We receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance, sanctification and faith in Jesus Christ. It's all one package gift. Isn't that marvelous? I want you to notice two things about the last four things that we just went over. And with these two things we'll close. The first thing is I want you to notice the different time element in each of the four things, the first three particularly. Forgiveness of sins particularly has to do with what? Past, present, or future? Past. Now, there's obviously a present because my sins are forgiven in the present. There's obviously a future element to it that all my sins that I will commit will be forgiven and they're laid on Christ. But primarily when we talk about the forgiveness of sins, it deals with our past. How about our inheritance, past, present, or future? Future. Now, I understand that we are predestined to the inheritance, the eternity past, and I understand that It's really ours right now. But when we think of our inheritance, what do we think of? Future. Because I haven't realized it yet, right? Forgiveness of sins, past, inheritance, present, or sorry, future. Sanctification primarily has to do with what? Present. The present. Because I am sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. And He is sanctifying me continually day by day. And He perfects and He sanctifies all those who are His. And that has to do with the present. So God's got it all wrapped up. My past is taken care of. My future is bright, and my present, He continually sanctifies me. It's like the Lord has covered all of the angles. All of that I get by virtue of faith in Him. Second thing I want you to notice is that all four of those blessings that come to us, the forgiveness of sins, the inheritance, sanctification of faith in Christ, they're all the work of God. I didn't do anything to earn any of that, did you? You didn't. If you think you did, you're still lost because you haven't embraced Christ. You still think that there's something that you can do to save yourself, and you can't. All of that is the work of God. It's all God's work. He opens our eyes. He turns us from our sin. He takes us out of darkness and puts us into light. He sets us free from Satan and makes us bondservants of God. He forgives our sins. He gives us the inheritance. He sanctifies us. And He gives us the faith to believe so that we reach out savingly on Jesus Christ. All of that is the work of God. None of it is ours. And so I ask you this morning, if you're a Christian, do you appreciate all of this salvation that you've been given? Do you bask in this? And does it not cause you to drop to your knees and thank God for such a marvelous, wonderful, deep, eternal, everlasting, and and infinite grace that He would stoop and save you in such a way and save me in such a way? And if you're not a believer, then I ask you this. Why would you not want all of this? Is this yours? Can you honestly say I've been transferred from darkness to light? I'm being sanctified day after day. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I know my sins are forgiven. I know my inheritance is guaranteed. Can you honestly say that? And if not, then I beg you to do this. I beg you to come to Christ today and call out to Him in mercy, understanding the depth of your sin and your wickedness and your depravity and just how merciful and gracious is God. And if you call out to Him for mercy, friends, He will save you. That is His promise. He will save you. And if you don't know Christ then none of what is in verse 18 belongs to you. None of it. And you need to repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ and be saved today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a marvelous salvation and grace. It truly boggles my mind to think about what you did on the cross. And I know that half of it has not been told to us. That your grace is infinite and we will have all of eternity to praise and honor and glorify and thank you for what you have done for us. We cannot take credit for any of it because it is all your gift to us. And We're so grateful. We're so grateful that you looked down on us in our sin and determined to save us and that you did so with such grace and that you went beyond just forgiving us of our sins but that you have blessed us and you have guaranteed your blessing on us for all of eternity with an inheritance and perfection and praise for all that you have done for us. We're so grateful for that. And Lord, I do ask this morning for anybody seated here this morning does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you'd convict them of that and show them how desperate they are for your grace and your mercy and bring them savingly to faith in Jesus Christ that they might repent and believe on you for salvation and be saved and to call out to you for mercy. We thank you that you are a merciful God, a loving God and a gracious God and we praise you this morning in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.